Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Everybody doing good today? Amen. The five things that I love about your pastor is that he has a great marriage, that he has a great, has a heart for people. I love Brother Coral because he has confidence in this great group of people. He does nothing but brag about what you all are going to accomplish. That's pretty exciting to sit down with a pastor that's actually engaged with the people and understands that the power is there. He's got a very humble spirit. And I also want you to know that your pastor has a fearless trust in God, that you have not yet heard the roar that's going to come from this man. But God has given you a great leader, and he is going to carry on very well from what Brother Kylie established as a ministry here. Can we give the Lord praise for transitions that are smooth? Brother and Sister Coral Rock. If you have a list of rock stars on your refrigerator, they would probably be two. You should put up there at the top. They're going to make it happen. Oh, nobody's happy this morning? Look, you can be as rough as you want. We're still going to get this thing done because what he's asked me to come in and help with is the concept of stewardship. Now, there's a lot of people that think that stewardship has to do with the amount of money that you give, that it has to do with your tithe and your offering. And though tithing and offering is an expression of our obedience, everybody say obedience. It's amazing how God laid out the financial plan because did you know that over 800 times money is mentioned in the scripture? that he spoke more about money, Jesus did, more about money than any one single concept. Now you would think that he would have talked more about hell or more about sin, but what he did was he came and he talked a lot about money because we understand that if you fall in love with money, it becomes the root of all evil. But he talked more about dollars and cents than he did about any other single subject. But stewardship is not just about the money that you give to the church. Stewardship is much more aggrandized than that. And if you would look in Luke chapter 16 with me, we want to review uh, as time goes on, not just yet, but get to 16 if you want to look at it. Luke chapter 16 talks about an unjust steward. And as it talks about the unjust steward, it lays out uh, many, many different facets of what stewardship is, and I want to get to those. But before I get to Luke 16, if you want to be there and avoid the things I'm about to say in the next 10 minutes or so, you can just keep reading over Luke 16 and, and feel spiritual. So many times we do want to come to church and feel spiritual, and others want to come to church and look spiritual. Very, very few people want to be spiritual in the right way. I was talking to a, a gentleman the other day in business, uh, and he, he described himself as a very spiritual person. And I just, I like to listen, so I listened to what he had to say. What do you, you know, what are you talking about? You're a spiritual person. Well, I, I believe in light and darkness Okay, I was listening to him talk about it. He's a very, very spiritual person. And karma. So he believes in karma. So I could give him kind of a break because that's like sowing and reaping. I think in the original Greek, it's the karma or something. I don't know. I don't want to contest the guy, but he said he was a very spiritual person. 
And the interesting thing about it is that every human being that is breathing is a spiritual person. Or else, in the beginning, it wouldn't have said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, when we get to Deuteronomy 6, a lot of people who are apostolic like to really make a, a, cl a claim on the fourth verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We don't do anything about those first three because in the first three he starts talking about, I'm going to tell you something that's going to give you a long life and it's going to make you prosper. And in it, if you want to check it out, in that uh, sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, and I'm going to cause you to increase mightily. Increase mightily. Then he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And following it, though, see, we don't really like to go beyond that. We'd rather fight over the one Lord thing. Because after that, he says, And you should love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. Now, later on, Jesus clarifies that and adds to it because, after all, he was the lawgiver. He added to it that you should also love God with your mind. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when you start thinking about stewardship, you've got to understand that, that stewardship is management. That's what it's called. We're, we're, we're managers. And we are called by God to manage this vessel. Anybody in here baptized in the Holy Ghost? You know what that spirit is, right? That's the spirit of what? Okay, so you guys all nodded, but that's the spirit of Jesus. He poured out his spirit on you because you are a spiritual person. He has now filled you with something that's defined as the Holy Spirit. And then it says that now you have become something. What have you become? You're the temple. Because he moved from a single temple that they used to move around and, and sacrifice the animals in and the blood of goats and sheep. That, that old temple where they had a priestly order. Now, please follow along. He said he was going to change it in Matthew 16. And he looked at Peter in Matthew 16 and he said, you know what, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, stay with me. We're talking about stewardship. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit moved for the first time, it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they began to declare the mighty works of God, but they declared it first by glossolalia, where they began to speak with tongues. And the Bible says a miracle took place because now, after the Holy Ghost moved, Everything changed because Peter stood up with the 11 when Christ was gone. He had ascended. Peter stood up with the 11 and a miracle happened. He preached. Now the difference between a priest who sacrifices an animal and a man who stands and preaches is the animal sacrifice will give you atonement, which means that God Almighty can still, after a period of time, judge you for your sin. But now, when Peter preached, something brand new was given to the human race. 
It's called salvation. Because it's by the foolishness of preaching that he chooses to save us. Okay, now you got to feel the weight of that moment. Because now everything's transferring. Now instead of one temple, instead of one tabernacle, that first day, God Almighty, because he desires for us to prosper immensely, now there's 3,000 temples. Because there were 3,000 souls added that day. So now 3,000 points of sacrifice. Instead of that one holy of holies, now we can enter in and thus become a holy separated person. And you see, that is imp- it's imperative that we understand that if we're truly going to understand what stewardship is. Because stewardship is different than anything that we imagine it to be. If it was just about a checkbook, boy, we'd have it made. Okay. Look at your neighbor and smile at least. Can we smile? Anybody, anybody happy? Jesus is in this place. Man, I'm like, can I, can, I, can I apply for the song leader job? Because he goes up here and everybody's, you. <laughs> but, but you see, when, when you understand that you have become the temple of the Holy Ghost, that brings with it some terrible responsibility. You know, we like to talk about how, how David describes psalms. You know, it's all beautiful and we clap our hands and everything. But within the middle of all of that, David said the works of God are terrible. Because he trusted in mercy. You remember when he trusted in mercy after he had numbered Israel? He trusted in mercy. He didn't take the three options. He didn't do door one, door two, or door three. He said, I'll just trust in the mercies of God. And by the time 70,000 people had been destroyed by a plague, he said, time out, God. So for those people that are just trusting grace, you better get the biblical grace, which is Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he had to build a boat. Just like we are recipients of the Holy Spirit of God, and we become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now when you read Philippians 2, it's going to make sense. When it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How can I let the mind of Christ be in me? Well, I let the Spirit of Christ in me. And the Spirit is given to lead us into all truth. Many of you have your Bibles there. You're holding truth. But you, you have to study to show yourself approved unto God. You can go to church and be approved unto man. You can go to a lot of buildings that call it church. And there's all kinds of different sacraments. But when you start to understand that the DNA he puts on you with the spirit baptism and water baptism in in Jesus' name, you're not the same person that you were. You are now a new creature. And all things have become new to you. So if we think stewardship is about money, that's why we struggle cutting the check. Because that's not truth. Everybody all right? When you understand that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, Genesis makes a lot more sense. 
Because when you look at the method of God, the method of God is he is an architect and a builder. And as he created the earth, the Bible says that God said, let there be light. And there was light. But what the light revealed was that the earth was without form and it was void. And darkness was over the face of it. But the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. Now, waters flow. Did you know that? How many of you have ever been to a lake that just sat stagnant? That's not really water, that's scum. That's some sort of a, it's a biological experiment. But even if you go to a lake, no matter how big the lake is, the lake flows. That's where the waves come, and God set it up that way because he controls the tide, and the tide is a reflection of the sun and the moon and all of the gravity of the earth. That's why when Job was, was talking about who God was and how important Job was, the Lord said, were you there? Are you the one that tells the waves where they stop? Because there are some things that God owns for himself. And so when you start to understand that, you realize that when God created light, simultaneously he created darkness. And then he also created the atmosphere, and then land and seas and grass and herb-yielding seed, and then heavenly lights and moving creatures and things and fowl. You know, those creepy things he made that was not your husband or your wife, depending upon your perspective this morning. Okay, still a rough crowd. We're going to get to this, though, but we understand that then he, then he implements this fruitfulness and multiplication thing. Did you know fruitfulness and multiplication came from God? It was not man's construct. That he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. It wasn't they saying unto him, I think we'll be fruitful, I think we'll multiply. And I don't know what it is about born-again Christians that we insist on the principles of the word being subjective. I don't have a personal conviction about that, some would say. And I will tell you, well, that's really good because there's no such thing as a personal conviction. There's a personal opinion, and we know what happens with that. There's a way that seems right. There's an opinion that seems right to a man. But the end of it is you have destructed the life. You have deconstructed the life that he wanted you to build. You see, you're in partnership with God. Because just like in the beginning, he created all of the substance and then he put man on the earth. When you went into the water after repenting of your sin and you were baptized in Jesus' name, and then he filled you with the Holy Ghost, you're a brand new creature. And if you will determine that you are going to follow the principles of God, then you will have the life that he intended. But if you live in disobedience, you are de deconstructing what he wants for you. Now, if you are a person of opinion, that's good. But just remember that creation began with the flow and it will not stop with you. You ever heard of cash flow? So how come we don't let our money do that? Is everybody okay? Pinch your neighbor. Fake a smile. There you go. I got a couple of fake smiles. <laughs> Those are the kind we love. Right? Mm -hmm. Cash flows. Did you know that the secular uh, culture tells us that words flow? And did you know the secular culture has determined, the philosophers of the world have determined that 
time flows. They used to call time an arrow. But now they refer to it as the river of time. Because the closer we get to the end of time, the more they're recognizing the creator of time. Cash flows. Words flow. Our time flows. And if you choose to allow God to use your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength, you too, your life can flow. You can develop talents. You can be anything that you want to be. And the Lord will make a way. Unless you decide to stop that flow with your own thinking. I don't recommend it, by the way. I would say that you should not overlay the truth of God with the lie that is man. Let every man be a liar. Right? Isn't that what the scripture says? I want to encourage you, if you're one of those people that insists on having your own opinion, you're not, you know, you're not alone. There were, are examples throughout the Bible of people who had poor stewardship. Cain. He didn't want to sacrifice the way God wanted it. He was a poor steward. And so he ended up murdering his brother. And that's kind of what we do when we're poor stewards. Here, here, let me give you this example. It's not like you're going to starve the preacher because you're fortunate. He's got a job. Oh boy, we got to do some work, bro. That's right. Then we want you to sit in that office. And then we want to withhold and give, withhold and give. Because then you shouldn't preach about those things. I know you don't have that spirit here. Man, come on, let me just stomp on the devil a little bit. I'm used to it. Look, I faced down demoniacs in Stevens Point. You're not going to scare me, it's not going to happen. I mean, I've faced all of it. I'm just not intimidated by people. But I do know this, that Cain was a terrible steward. And he didn't mind that he killed his brother. And that's what poor stewardship does. Because if if you bring the gift, you bring your financial part of this into the house of God, you're making a way for you to come and be blessed. And while you watch the example of his life growing, yours can grow also. And guess what you get to do? then you get to share with all those people. And then what happens is, when we give, when we yield the finances, we are proving that we don't love evil, but we love God. That's why it's measured in finance, but it's measured in financial obedience. The tithe is an obedience issue. I'm I'm gonna talk about it in a little bit, but your tithe is an obedience issue. If you're not tithing, it has nothing to do with the ministry of this man or the ministry of this church. It has to do with your interaction with God. The tithe is the Lord's. Now what people do with it, hopefully you got a board of directors. Man, we got a bishop in this district. He's a roaring lion. I mean, he'll come after us. We've got great checks and balances, but we need checks to balance what God's trying to do in a city. How much money do you think it's going to take to win a million people? You don't know, do you? Who does know? Huh? I heard somebody. So God knows, right? Well, how's he going to bring that money here if we're not going to be obedient in our tithe? Would we rather have a person who's never going to go to heaven 
stop and we'll call it a miracle because they dropped a million dollars here? Or would we rather unify with God and each of us be a part of bringing 10,000 apiece? Some of you are saying, send the millionaire, man. I need the money. But you see, what I'm talking about is this. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Isn't it amazing that it talks about the truth? Buy the truth and sell it not. You want to talk about a God who understands humanity. I, I wanted to make mention my iPad keeps shutting off. Satan, I bind you. Okay, good. I got more laughs. We're getting there. Okay, Cain and Abel. How about Saul and his positioning as king? Did you know that Saul was an accidental king? That's like the person, Brother Corlo, that comes in here looking to be set free from the guilt of sin. And then they understand, now, wait, I'm a royal priesthood. The accidental king was Saul. And you know what Saul's big sin was? He decided that the preacher was too slow. And I'm just going to go ahead and offer the sacrifice because after all, I don't need him. Now, Miriam only got leprosy by questioning the preacher. And only for seven days. And see, that's our problem. When we question the man of God, not that he's like, you know, I, didn't, I, was, I was with you last night. There's nothing transcendent about your life. You didn't hover into the restaurant. The waitresses didn't bow. There weren't angels saying, oh, reverend, we have your... Ch there's no throne. There wasn't anything like that. It's just a guy who puts his clothes on like the rest of us put our clothes on. And he walked in there, but there's something about a man who surrenders himself. There's just something about it. And, and, and it's different. Pastoring is different than leading. John Maxwell can lead. Others can be leaders. And they can go to hell with the power and the mantle of their leadership. Now, don't misquote me. I didn't say John Maxwell was headed that way. But I'm saying there's a lot of business leaders. There's a lot of others that feel sorry for the church. And so they'll come and they'll give some generosity. I am one who feels good about my God. And I don't need the secular culture to give me my finance. I'll get it from God. Thank you very much. But I get up and I work and I go into the city and I do business because I am a child of God and I'm required to steward this new creation he gave me. You're in good company, though, if you've got your own opinion about it because Solomon also didn't steward his wisdom very well, did he? And it was relationship that got Solomon in trouble. And he had a relationship with 700 wives, 300 concubines. Now, you're going to have to fact check me on this one. The Bible says the wives caused him to go into false worship, but the concubines didn't. Yeah, go ahead, Jezebel, look it up. It's in there. I stand on the facts. The wives steered him into false worship. The concubines, they were just there to accentuate his manhood. That's for another time. Solomon didn't do well with his wisdom. How did Judas do with his responsibilities? But wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I feel God in nature. I'm, I'm just fine. You can't, I don't need, yeah. 
I got my own opinion. As a matter of fact, why would we waste all the good stuff on the mediator, the man Christ Jesus? Why would we waste the good stuff on a man when we should give all the good stuff to the poor? Huh. Now, Ahab did not do a good job of stewarding his marriage. I'm just going to leave that because I mentioned the J word a minute ago. I don't want to make anybody too mad. We don't want anybody's head to explode while we're in church. See, I I get to leave. I'm going to go home, and my people are used to me. Uh, Boy, we got it going on in point. We're just, uh, we've had some great things happen because we're talking about stewardship, right? And so we've just got some great things. We're, We're way full in the current building that we have, and for years we were told we couldn't use a building that we owned, and then all of a sudden, just because, you know, this is how it works. Righteous steps, or the steps of righteous people are ordered of the Lord. We could say the steps of stewards are ordered of the Lord. I just bumped into somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, and they came to the building. They said, why can't you use this? I said, I don't know. The city's told me several times I can't use it. No, you can use it. Here's how you do it. Then I met a brand new architect who came in that I knew just because I happened to bump into somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Steps of a steward ordered of the Lord. Right? Stewardship is righteousness. You may want to write that down in your notes or your neighbor's notes. That might even be better. Excuse me, can I use your notebook? I'm feeling right at home, so we're good. There is one more poor steward, but you may not want me to talk about Lucifer not stewarding his magnificence. And you know what got him in trouble was his own opinion. So think what you will. Think what you will. But if you don't have the right opinion, even if you stand in the holy, holy Lord... Right? Even if you're standing in the holy presence of God and you were created with a single purpose, you can still lose it if your opinion actually matters to you. Yep, we're good. There are four pillars of stewardship. You're not only responsible for your money, though treasure is part of it. As we looked in Genesis, and I quoted it just a couple of minutes ago, the flow of God is such that time, talent, treasure, and testimony are four main pillars to being a steward. And the way that it works is that if you properly steward your time, then you can develop your talent. And once you have developed your talent and you properly steward it, then you will have treasure. And when you have your time under control and you've developed your talent and you have your treasure you will more than likely use it as a testimony. But God, is, God did not make his church. He's building his church. Your life started in Christ when you were born again. But you have to choose to build it. You know, it's amazing to me that there are so many unhappy Christians. Because the Bible says, right, that it's the joy of the Lord that it is our strength. So Christian, you know, what's funny about Christians is we think we need secular entertainment to be happy. We need secular events to feel entertained. That, that somehow 
the body of Christ and the kingdom of heaven is not significant enough for us. But when you consider stewarding your time in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be countercultural. Is that okay if I'm countercultural? The culture says you should work 40 hours and that's full time. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Exodus says, six days shalt thou labor. And on the seventh day you should rest. Uh, Now let me tell you what's going on. The reason you and I do recreation, notice the word recreation, is because Satan has overlapped the truth of the word by telling us a boat will make us happy or a cabin will satisfy. And all those are, look, if you got a boat, that's fine. I had a boat. It's true. I did. People are doubting me. But you see, six days shalt thou labor, and then if you want to find out what a a day is, again, we're talking about being stewards. Go to John chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? Uh Uh-oh. Are there any union activists in here? I probably should have qualified that, Brother Corley. I'm not really trying to offend anybody. I'm just talking about truth. We all want the truth. Hallelujah. I mean, praise the Lord. We're here. Hallelujah. Just give me the truth. Right? I could get a flag and be a temple dancer. I might not look well in a pink leotard, but my wife even said, oh, my gosh. The Institute of Advanced Methodologies and Technology says that time flows, and time flow is defined as average time spent in the process of something. That, your time is flowing. The clock is ticking. So if, you, if you have not had children, your biological clock is ticking. That's how they define that. When you feel like you're missing something or you're not being built the right way. So even, even the secularists, have un, they are starting to understand the flow of God. Now, the reason that we don't rest well on the Sabbath is because we don't work well during the week. That's why we're not looking forward to that one day where we can now worship God and build our families. Hence, 80% of kids leave the church for what? Drug addiction? Are we really in that position where we are so important and our opinion matters so much that our experience with God and the new tabernacle that I am is not attractive to the next generation? It's because we're like, we're like halfway in and halfway out. 40 hours is full time and my boss better not ask me for one more hour. We, we, we fail to understand that the Lord said through the apostle, look, if you're fortunate to have a boss, serve them like you would Jesus. See, I'm talking about stewardship today, but I'm talking about biblical patterns. I'm not talking about cultural patterns. I'm talking about we've got to get to the reality of that. And some would say, well, my boss won't give me 72 hours a week. And you know why? Because they can't afford you at that point. So why would you allow yourself to be discounted and only give 40 hours in a week? 
I'm fortunate I work with a lot of business owners and their employees. I asked the business owners, can you describe to me the importance of a 72-hour week? And they all look at me and say, where can I get that job? And I talked to employees, can you, could you tell me what you think of if your employer went to a 72-hour week? I mean, they almost strike right there. 72 hours. Well, you see, when we become a Christian, we're not called to be like the culture. We're called to be like the kingdom. The kingdom of our God is not the kingdom of this world. He has called us into his marvelous light. And one of the problems we have with light is it reveals truth. And when we see truth, we have to measure ourselves against it. Yep. We're all good, right? I mean, we just want the truth. You want me to stop? Shall I stop? Shall we pray and go home? You say, well, what am I going to do for 72 hours? Well, how about you take all the hours your boss will work and recognize that you have the mind of Christ. And you go, I love going to Goodwill and buying books. And I like standing in front of people, not the ones that have the disabilities, but I like standing in front of people that are able-bodied. And I'll buy a book like How to Think Big and Grow Rich. And I will... I'll stand at the register and I find them for 99 cents. They're d double discounted. And I'll, I'll go up to the counter and they'll say, 99 cents, do you want to round up? I mean, why not just price it at a buck, you know? So, I, yeah, I think I'll round up. And then I'll ask them, I said, do you realize the bargain I just got? And the people going, uh, sir, it's on clearance. Well, I no, it is. But do you recognize the bargain I just got? Well, no. Next, next customer. No, I want you to tell me. What, do you see the bargain here? Because inside of these pages, there's instructions on how to think big and how to grow rich. Uh, would you please move along, sir? Now, wait a minute. See, the problem is it's on clearance. It's discounted, and so they don't even read it. Well, what about that word sitting there, Brother Cordell? When I ask people, how many chapters of the Bible do you read? Some would say, well, I read it last week. I'll say, like, how many chapters? Well, I don't, I don't keep track. Oh, that's good. You don't keep track because you don't want to be accountable. Now, we're going to get to Luke 16. I'm hastening. But the reality is this, that we've got to rethink our, our life. We've got to... Did you know that in, in him was what? According to John. In him was, now some would say the fullness of the Godhead, that's good. And that's very accurate. But did you know that John, who loved Jesus, said in him was life? And now watch. And the life was the light of men. Not in him was light. And that light brought life. In him was life. That's why he was here for three years and he celebrated people. And he rebuked the people that had an opinion that religion was more important than the relationship with Jehovah God. And he spent his entire life correcting it. And we did to him what you want to do right now, crucify him. Because I've got 40 years in this culture and I'm not working another minute for that ingrate boss of mine. Hmm. Some of you really think that. The good news is, I've, you're too late for 
me. I mean, I've lived a lot of life. I'm just starting to have a lot of fun because I think that when you are a steward, then you don't, you're not worried about the results. You're worried about the obedience. So time flows. You have to manage, you have to manage your time. Talent can be developed. We'll read about it in Luke 16. But you've got to understand that you're finite. You have a start and a stop time. You've got 24 hours a day. You're you're chronologically limited. And you have to sleep. So your body goes into sleep mode for at least a third of your time alive. But you still have to understand that even though I am finite, if I engage the power, word, and strength of God, it's, I have infinite possibilities. Because as long as I have God sort of involved in my life, I make him as finite as I am. But when I compress myself into Christ, I become infinite. Now, I'm not going to live forever, but the things that I can be involved in will live forever. I can bring people into the body of Christ and I can see them born again and I can see them become Christian. And if they will engage the word, the work, and the power of God, they will be able to reproduce themselves. And we will have fulfilled that Genesis call. Be fruitful, be multiplying, and replenish the earth. We are not fruitful. We don't even care about multiplying. We barely want to do addition. And we don't bring visitors. See, right now I sing, Will you still love me tomorrow? That's a really good question. It's a really, really good question. But you see, if we, if we misunderstand money, then time doesn't matter. Time, time doesn't matter to us. And if time doesn't matter, don't complain that your talent isn't significant enough for someone to pay you what's your worth. A lot of people walk out of their job never getting a raise, and they say, it doesn't pay me what I'm worth. Well, what are you worth? What do you bring to the table? What, what, what is your value? I mean, we, we worry a lot about self-esteem, but before self-esteem comes self-accomplishment. You want to feel good about yourself, do something. Do something. You've got 72 hours a week that God is looking at you. You can read. You can learn a trade. You can learn a skill. Did you know some women have learned how to turn shopping into a career? I see it all the time. You ever heard of, is it Mercari or, yeah, Mercari, anybody here use that? It's an excuse, well, I shouldn't tell you what it is. I don't want to hurt the husbands here, so. But you are, you are as finite as your relationship with God. And if you become immersed in Christ, if you are that new creature, if you are in Christ, then you no longer are finite. Now our testimony If you want to find out how important your testimony is, it's in Revelation chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. It's a great place. It says they overcame him. And who are they overcoming? Satan. And how are they overcoming? Satan. 
They were overcoming Satan. How? By the word of their testimony and what? And the blood of the Lamb. Now watch. In Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A little bit later it says, so that you can be equal with God. Not that you're going to be a God, but that you can have some equality, some weight, some power, some authority. And what's your authority? Your testimony is as powerful as the blood of the Lamb. Now your testimony is your whole life. Your testimony is not just the words that you use. But your testimony is how have you done with your time, your talent, your treasure. And now you can tell people, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I am found. I once was complacent, but now I am energized. Did you know that it doesn't talk about the wages of the Spirit? It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And what is it? Love. How's your love going? Start with yourself. Do you love you? No. Well, what don't you love about you? I don't want to say it. Huh? I did not steward my height very well. I've got a large cut on my forehead right here. The perfect time for Halloween. I was walking somewhere. It was out of my vision. I just clamored against it. It's a light in our house. I forgot the light was there. It's crazy how I run into the light and my head changed. Oh, God, let it be for all of us today. Now, you see, the, the reality is you are so valuable that the enemy would love nothing more than to have you sit at home and watch his entertaining devices, which show every kind of sin that is out there. And then he would love you to get off of that and engage yourself in video games, which the makers of video games refuse to let their children see what they do until the children are six. I don't know if you knew that. That's good. Everything here is good. This is good. This is good. Everybody say, this is good. This is helpful. But you see, one of the reasons that we don't testify is because the Bible says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Now watch. And if you would read just a little farther, you would find out that Satan is angry because he has a short amount of time. Isn't that why he would want us to waste ours? He's got a short amount of time, but he can get a lot more done if the church decides it's okay to be complacent. It's okay. Paul didn't say, look, I go on a long walk twice a day because the mark of the high calling of God is calling me. He said, I am, I am pressed toward the mark, and I am running the race. And when you are engaging the principles of being a steward, let me tell you something. You are proud of bringing the tithe into the house of God. You're thankful to bring that offering in because it is a symbol of your obedience and it is an act of worship. Good. We're doing good. You know, I, I, an inner city church had me come in and do this and they weren't apostolic. Very similar reaction. Pastor loved it. 
by the end, he was like. (laughs) But we want to engage this. We want to become what God has called us to be. Now, the culture says that we, when we have our time and our talent and our testimony in order, then we can start worrying about treasure. Cash flow. The beautiful thing about cash is that it flows. It's moving. It's not stagnant. It's only stagnant when it gets into the hands of human beings that don't understand how to use it. He designed you to increase mightily. And so what he did is he said, look, everything that you're generating in the form of revenue that's really important to you, all you got to do is bring a tithe. That's it. Did you know Pharaoh got 20%? And you know who negotiated the deal? Joseph. And then Joseph, who was still mad at his family and still a little bit bitter, he ends up negotiating all of their cattle, all of their livestock, all of their seed, all of their land. And Joseph negotiated the deal where now the children of Israel were in bondage. Stewardship. And they ended up serving for many centuries. And we, if we do not allow ourselves to have a relationship with God that says, look, here is my tithe. I can tell you when I came into the house of God, I was born of water and spirit. It was June 21st, 1982. At that moment, I was fortunate because my pastor was doing a series on money. And so that year, in the first 12 months of my walk with God, I gave to the kingdom of heaven $1,800. That may not seem like a lot, but when I got my W-2, I made 5200 Now, how do you live? Just take the 5200 and remove 1800 from it. How do you live on that? When your rent is 325 a month, and your heat bills, and all of those other things. Now, look, this is the reality of what my life was. I, I just, I learned to trust. But at the end of the year, I didn't owe any money. I wasn't in debt. But what had happened was a few times throughout the year, people came up, said, hey, can you help me with something? And I always said, sure. And then I would go work, and then they would give me money. Some of those jobs were $30 an hour. I was just trying to work. I would work hard. I would help people. But here's a miracle that took place, the first one. Because I was just, I, you know, I'm just, I worked with juvenile delinquents, and then I had, I had a really great business I called Ron's Removal Extraordinaire. It's a grandiose term for I will shovel your sidewalk. Huh? Or I'll mow your lawn. Ron's removal, extraordinaire. People laughed a lot, but, you know, I was desperate. I drove around in a yellow Delta 88 that I was going to fix the body on. So I ground all the paint off the bottom just before winter. And then I didn't have enough money to buy the paint. So by February, it was a two-tone. Yellow and rust. And it was where I learned all my auto mechanic skills because when you don't have money to pay the mechanic, you learn how to fix your car. Anybody could say amen to that. But what happened was, see, I gave 1800 to the kingdom of heaven, and people are like, man, you know, people that heard about it, like, you're hurting your family. You're, you're, you're not doing very well. well I, was, I was walking down the street, literally I was walking down the street, and a guy came up to me and he said, excuse me. I said, yes. Would you like to start a business? I said, Yeah. What else was I doing? You know, I didn't say, well, I already have one, thanks. 
rotten yards, rotten snow. I said, yeah. And so he said, oh, okay, good. Well, here's what I want to do. What kind of business would you start? I said, I don't know. He said, well, you know, why don't you meet me at my office? And he said, matter of fact, what you do is you, you come to the office, bring some stuff, because I'm going to give you an office. I said, why are you going to give me an office? Well, I just believe in you. Well, I walked in to the guy's office. He's like a gazillionaire. He's like, your office is right over there, Mr. Walters. What's the business you're going to start? I said, I'm not sure. I'm a business owner. So I walked over and I did a little inventory. What can I do? I could talk. So I decided to start. Now, watch this. I started a program that I called Telesell Incorporated. Problem was, I didn't incorporate it. I didn't know you had to actually incorporate it. Just incorporated sounds so good. So I put it without an accord. Nobody ever checked. I didn't, until later when I was in real business, did I discover, you know, I, mean, I probably should go back and see if I'm okay with the IRS. But it sounded really good. And then all of a sudden, customers came. And then all of a sudden, I was running a business. And within three years, listen, my tithe in three years was equal to my income the first year. Okay, see, you, you don't want to hear about that. Because it was just lucky. There was, a, there was a seminar a guy was given. He was a gazillionaire, and he was trying to help people become gazillionaires. So he stood up, and he was telling what he did, and everybody resented it. So he said, are there any questions? Some guy stood up in the back. Yeah, it just sounds like you're like the luckiest guy ever. He said, you're absolutely right. I'm busted. And the more 14-hour days I work in a week, the luckier I get. That's the secret. He was, without being Christian, he was stewarding. And because he stewarded, he became successful. Now, what I want to say is the principles that I'm talking about, they work. All right. Let me show you something here. I was talking to my attorney who's helping my wife and I put together an estate plan because tithing works. I'm going to split the estate plan. I need two volunteers. There's one. Come on up. I need another one. There's one. Come on up. All right. Very bold. Notice they're both youth. You're in good hands, brother. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something now. I'm going to call you tithe. Tithe. I'm going to call you offering. Now, see, we bring, when we, what, what happens to us is when we come into the house of God, right, we look at paying our tithes as a loss. It's a deficit. I'm going to take out of my checkbook this amount of money, and God knows what they're going to do with it down there at that church. Well, it's probably some truth to that. But the reality is this. When I bring my tithe in, here's what happens. Right? I pay my tithe, but my tithe is right there. Now you go work for me. See, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And when I pay tithe, it works for me. To do what? Jobs. Hey, you got that. And now watch, though. What did, Gen what did Gen uh, Deuteronomy say? This is working to increase me. Because this is my partnership with God. And this is my obedience. 
And when I use my obedience and I partner with God, I trust he's wanting to increase me. That's how you go from a $5,000 income to tithing more than that. My tithe three years later was 6,800. I forgot about the offering. Because when I give my offering, my offering, this one is a lateral thing. Because it's about, I can measure it by what I am gaining, what I am accomplishing. And, and Solomon said it's first fruits. Just, just the beginning fruits. Because once you plant a fruit tree, you're going to have a lot of harvest over and over and over again. But then my offering now, the offering is the expansion. Because I determined, look, he didn't say you got to give a, 5%, a 10% tithe and a 5% offering. The concept of tithe is I am partnering by releasing my tithe. You can go sit down now. You've done your job. No, you keep my tithe. I don't want it back. I'm not an Indian giver or whatever they call them. My offering, though, what does it do? My offering shows God that I believe in me. The tithe shows I appreciate him, and I'm obedient. But the offering says, you know what, Lord? I believe in me. And that's why I'm going to send my offering forward for you to do what you want to do with it, God. That's why when it says bring all the tithe in, because he's on all the, the way God, when I bring all of my tithe, he can give me all of his expansion. He wants me to increase mightily. The problem is if I'm not studying to show myself approved, I can't manage mightily. We have a hard enough time managing our day-to-day. We live paycheck to paycheck, and we're just fine with that. Because there's no risk. There's also no reward. But when I pay my offering, I'm giving God the opportunity. Now, you just do what you want. And the more generous the offering, guess what? The more faith you have in you. Because God's going to, go ahead, young lady. Thank you. Didn't they do a great job? I am hastening to a conclusion. I know you told me 1230, but I'm going to let them go early, bro. If we were in a camp meeting, I'd say, well, I'm almost done, but anybody want me to preach? And, you know, the one guy that's a diehard, preach! And then four or five other people, oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Time, talent, treasure, and testimony. And the testimony comes with what I'm sharing because my income increased. Now, I've had a lot of bumps in the road. I've had a lot of problems in my life. I've had a lot of issues. But God is faithful, and I tested him through every one of those. So then what happens is you end up with things like, well, you know what, Lord? I know you want me to start a mission work down in Stevens Point. If I go, I need a job. And then two days, and you lay out your fleece. This is what I want. And two days later, a guy named Walt Wagner calls you from Ohio and says, hey, Ron, would you like a job? Well, Walt, just a minute. I pulled my notepad out, sat it down. I said, what would it include? All eight things. I said, well, that would be great. He said, well, I noticed that you're up at Park Falls. I said, yeah. I interviewed, and, and they offered me the job, and Stevens Point was our target city. And I, I listened to him, and I said, uh, well, I, you know, I'm willing to accept the job. There's only one problem, Ron. You're probably not going to like it. I said, what's that? You're going to have to relocate. Where am I going to have to relocate? As if I didn't know. You'd have to move to Stevens Point. But don't worry. We'll pay your expenses. Okay. 
Sounds fine. See, that's a testimony right there. But it comes from the fact that my tithe is working for me because I keep him very employed. And my offering is working for me because I make sure that she's dutifully employed. I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss the Monday blessing from a Sunday opinion. I want to flow and let God bless me. Now I'm going to fast forward in, in, in Luke 16. I just want to give you this. That there are four components to Luke 16, 1 through 13. It talks about the accomplished man. It talk, they calls him rich man. And then it talks about his steward. And then it talks about his goods. And then it talks about all of the other people. So what happens is the steward is called into account because the rich man's going to come and he says, I want to know what you've been doing with my money. And so the steward, the manager says, oh my goodness, I haven't done anything with the money. What am I going to do? I've been cheating and stealing and robbing God. And so the Lord comes and he says, well, I need to know because you're no longer going to be a steward. You know there's a lot of Christians sitting on the pew that are no longer stewards. We fired ourselves Because every time we have an offering... It's a job performance review. How did you do this way? Oh, your tithe looks good. How'd you do? Oh, your tithe looks awesome. It's a job performance review. And the offerings, it's like, man, set them free. Just let them go. But you see, we see that all, we look at ourselves and we get down to the steward. Well, am I a good steward or am I a bad steward? And the Bible says that when the steward was called into account, he discounted the Lord's goods. He went out and he made a deal. How much do you owe me? 100? Okay, let's make it 50. How much do you owe me? 80? Well, okay, let's make it 60. That's a good deal. And we discount the principles of God all the time because we do not understand the tithe, the offering, our talent, our treasure, our testimony. And so we're constantly discounting God's ability to increase us mightily. So, faithfulness. Triggers the reaction of God. I, I took care of Luke 16 like I promised. But I want to finish if piano player. There was, up oh, there she is. Good. Something slow, meaningful, a bit melodramatic that really pulls the heartstring. It's been a rough morning. So, so here's what happens. Here's what happens. I mean, it's, it's amazing. God interacting with a steward. Just, just a dude. Just getting hammered by the enemy, problems, people making bad decisions. Just, just a guy. But I wake up one morning and God said, okay, you know, you're, you're about where I want you. Your back is herniated. You're divorced. Everybody's thinking that you're a rat. You got all these problems. I know that's nobody's life in here, right? Fought the course, you know. I fought the law and the law one. That's what happened, you know, male bias, all that stuff. It was terrible. I just, it was terrible. But so the Lord decides that now's the time he wants to show me where the church building's going to be. You know, when you're driving and this is, this is just about the time when this little sweep came in my life. So I could see the reward was coming. But it takes a while, doesn't it, to work through problems? Have you ever had a significant problem? 
How long did it take for you to not be mentally ill? I mean, it takes a long time. Look, if I trip today and fall on my knee, I'm going to be physically ill. But when we have problems in our mind, we, we don't want to deal with that illness because somehow that doesn't matter. You see, what happened was he, he said, I'm going to show you the building today. I said, well, that would be just fine, except I am no longer interested. Is it okay if I'm honest? You ever have so much that you weren't interested anymore? Matter of fact, God, I'm thinking of giving this city back to you. And he said, like you owned it in the beginning. Okay, is that why all of this joy has hit my life? He said, no, no, I want, I want you to... I want you to go here. I said, okay, fine. I turned. Literally, I was having this conversation. It was not an audible voice. But I drove past the street. He said, no, back up. I stopped. Now the tears are flowing. I'm, I'm really tired of this God. Nope. I'm going to show you the building. I've looked at a hundred buildings. I've, I've cast vision. I've done all this. He said, yeah, but but I want to show you the building. Okay. So, drive down half a block. He says, stop, look at the sign. There's a real estate sign. It's this guy, Larry Shortes was his name. Do you see that guy? I said, yeah. He's the guy that has the keys. Call him up. I've called a hundred times, God. Call him up. All right, fine. Called him on the phone. He's like, oh, are you sitting over in that one on Minnesota Avenue? I said, yeah. He said, well, how, can you meet me there tomorrow? I said, sure. So I met him there. We went through the building, and he's like, he's, he's just this really nice guy, and the building is just horrible. I mean, the roof's falling and all this stuff, but I could sense something that God was doing. And so he's like, what would you do with this building? I said, I would do this, I would do this. And then we walked in this big room, and I said, man, I could. And I looked. He was crying. He's not a believer. He's not a. Christian, but he was looking at me and he had tears. He said, I love this story. And then at the end, he said, what would it take for you to buy this? And I was like, well, you got to realize I'm defeated. I'm whatever. I said, well, I, I could afford this and, and this. Why don't you run it up the flagpole? He said, I will. So he called me the next morning and he said, well, your loan's ready. I said, don't you want my last name? Don't you have to have my social security number? No, the, it's all approved. It's all done. Everything's done. How much can you put down? I said, well, how little can you take? <sighs> Bring your checkbook. We'll work it out. So I went over and I did not realize it, but he was the president and CEO of the bank. It was his money. And he sat there and he said, now I want you to tell my, my the the president of this division and the president of this division and this division and, and they're all sitting there looking at me like they were just snarling because I didn't have to go through the, the rigmarole because I'd already been through it and God saw a steward so I told him and then they cried and the guy said how much can you give us I said well you know, like it's a card game or something. How about that? Yeah, that'll work. 4% interest. I mean, it's just this, whatever. Well, now fast forward, we're, we're a bunch of years down the road. 
I mean, it's been a job. But now we've got, you know, these people that show up every week. We fill the building up. We've got seven services a week. Everybody's enthused and excited. Our guys are stewards, man. They're just, their time and their talent, their treasure. I, I do this to them every week for 45 minutes. Every week they meet early and we talk about stewardship. And now we've got the approval on our other building. You want to know something else? God gave us another building. And our team is ready. They're, they're ready to expand. There are people getting the Holy Ghost. It's awesome. But, but can I tell you another part? Really, I only need about 45 more minutes. That's <sighs> Business. Because I also steward my time. And I have dedicated my mind to learning. I have no secular degrees, but I counsel kings of the earth in business. I'm driving down the road. Now, I'm talking about stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. Do something with your time. Build your talent. Invest your treasure. Hire tithe. You'll never go wrong. But remember, tithe wants you to increase mightily. And watch the offerings. Don't be too exorbitant because God is faithful. I'm driving down the road. One of my long-term clients calls me and says, Hey, Ron, can you help this guy with his health insurance? I said, I think I could. Sure. And I waited like two or three days to call him. He's got a business. He said he's got a business. He needs some help. I said, okay, I'll call him. Well, it turns out the guy's name is Mike. Now, I'm talking about God wants you to increase mightily. Are you okay with a success story? Or are we done here? Because I'm talking about what works, if you do. Called him up. He's like, man, I want to meet you. I said, fine, let's meet. So Mike comes in, and we start talking about the law and Moses and Jesus. And I was just amazed. Well, it turns out Mike influences 18,000 businesses. I didn't say he had 18,000 employees. He has 18,000 businesses that listen to his counsel. So he says to me, can you put together a plan for all these businesses? Well, maybe. <laughs> I said, sure. And we're working the plan. As a matter of fact, the, the spillover hit, hit you. Could you please call these people and handle this for them? And, and you've, you're excellent because they are calling back and saying, wow. One of them said, what a godsend. I said, you have no idea relationships. It gets even worse though. Are you ready for it to get worse? How, what can get worse than that? Well, we have, a, we have a program that we developed called the Employee Development Group. And that's why Maxwell is here. So he's back there with cameras. We're doing some, sh some footage for the Employee Development Group because we're taking biblical principles and we're teaching it to employers. We just go in subtly, but the end result is all the same. We get to have these great conversations and introduce, introduce these business owners to local churches. And we bring their leaders out. It's awesome. It's going to work great down here. But anyway, so as a result of this association, I meet a guy named Mike Adler. Well, Mike Adler says, hey, Ron, you need to do this program. I was like, Mike, why would I want to do that program? He said, because it's all about kindness. I said, fine, all right, I'll do it. You got to call this guy. So I called this guy, and then I got another call. It's a guy by the name of Ed Horrell, H-O-R-R-E-L-L. -L. 
And I was like, Ed, man, I just love what you're talking about. This is awesome. We really need to apply this into our employee development group. And, and so Ed starts talking to me. You know, we've got like this three-week relationship going on. He goes, and he's from Tennessee. He says, Ron, Ron, I love what you're saying. I said, well, that's good, Ed. I, I like what I'm saying too. And we were laying out business. I want, let, I want you to be the exclusive acquisition part of my business. I'm looking at it thinking, well, how big can that be? Well, if you want to look at it, it's something called the kindness revolution. And his clients are FedEx, all the Chick-fil-A's. His clients are the United Postal Service, American Express, all those. And he wants us to come in and help teach their employee cultures the art of kindness. Now, you know where this is cool? You know what the Bible says is kind? Love. Love is kind. And a God that wants us to increase mightily does nothing to hurt us, but he does everything to build us. And you are a temple. And you are powerful. And our God is awesome. And you know what else? He's proud of you. And he wants to show you off. And he wants to work with you. And he wants you to increase mightily. Would it be all right if we stood together? Because if we stand together, Brother Corbett, we're not going to fall apart. It was rough getting there. I hope it feels better. Does it feel better for anybody in here? One person, good. Two, all right, a youth and an old man. Great. I, <sighs> it's just what I wanted to see when I'm going home. <laughs> we, I'm doing the nuts. Ah, blow it up. There you go. What are you going to do with this? What, what are you going to do with it? Well, I'm not going to change my ways. Well, that's good. Why don't you just adopt his? I, I'm just, I'm way too down. I'm far down the road. I mean, my career's gone and all that stuff. Well, okay, Abraham and Sarah. Guy's 100, still got one on the gun. I mean, hey, that was really funny and you didn't laugh. The last crowd I talked to, they liked it. They thought it was funny. But you see, you think you're too far past, don't you? You think like, oh, I've already made a mess of my life. I've already done. No, 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 no. You, you serve a God who is awesome. And the creation is groaning for the sons of light to make manifest. Could you maybe either bow your head or lift your hands today? And would you ask God to take away all of the dross and only let get in your mind what is his desire today. Because the way I look at it, you're a king or you're a queen. You are royalty in heaven. And he is demonstrating every day his ability to bless. Wouldn't you like to be the miracle of finance? Wouldn't you like to be the one that can write that check, that can make it happen. Wouldn't you? See, 
the problem is you're not letting the mind of Christ in. You're keeping your mind. Expand it. You're, you can be anything you choose to be. You just got to let him flow this morning. Come on. Let your worship flow. The Bible says the word of God is only profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. I didn't, I didn't come here to make you angry. But I just wanted to talk about perspectives from heaven. You don't see you like God sees you. You are a vessel to be mightily expanded. Some of you are feeling it. You are literally called by God to shine. Isaiah chapter 60, arise and shine for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Everybody say me. You are the mighty increaser. Everybody say me. You are the blessed vessel of heaven. Everybody say me. You are the light that shines in darkness and heaven is literally banking on you because he gave you the earnest of your inheritance. Just the, just, the Holy Ghost is just the interest on the money. It's just the start of it all. Come on, let's let something flow here. Come on, let's reach out. Maybe some of you want to come and have a transformation of your thinking. Please come. The altar is open. Please come on down. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.